Welcome to Robot Friends, the wet market of conversation. Episode 28, Eigenrobot vs. The Beast. Beast, how are you today? I'm pretty good. I just got off of a mountain, actually. Off of a mountain? What? Why were you on a mountain, Beast? I wanted to be on a mountain. So, like, I, uh, well, I live in North Carolina, um, around the Asheville area. And it affords me the excellent opportunity mm. to, if I want to in 30 minutes, be at a mountain and, uh, 30 minutes more be on top of that mountain. If I so please. That's a gorgeous area. I'm trying to remember exactly. Is that where Merle Fest is held? I have no clue. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that, the one, the one reason I've been to the one reason, is that true? No, I've, I've been to Raleigh Durham more recently to visit a friend who was in a some kind of a program at Duke. But I the first time and maybe more memorable time that I went to North Carolina was for a music festival called Merle Fest, which these are the things that I know the state for. There's the Research Triangle and there's there's blue. Uh, I don't think he was bluegrass, but um, it was it was on a date, and I was not into Merle Haggerty at the time, and I'm still not. But maybe I should change that. I mean, there are, there are all kinds of like music festivals that happen in this area. And like, you know, I, I have worked at a hotel for the last four, uh, four and a half years. So ostensibly I should know, uh, the yeah. names of all the music festivals in the area. And I just suppress everything from my memory the week after it's done. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I get that. Yeah. Uh, Salento used to work at a hotel. The only story that I've heard is the, the time she got conned by a, a family of, I don't know, can you say gypsy? This is something I'm not even sure they were Romani, but something along those lines. She she said they were incredibly charming. The kids did travelers. a lot of the work. Travelers. Are they travelers? I don't know what they are. I think that's like the actual UK term and like Yeah, that might be a different ethnicity though. I think like Irish travelers, I know is the I don't know, we could get Ali on to, to talk about this. Or if if you are Romani or a traveler or or any of these things, however you want to identify, uh yeah. Come come and talk if you like. Um, I wonder if I have anyone who listens who's Romani. So um, interesting. So you still work at a hotel? I would imagine that maybe there's not that much employment at hotels these days. Um, in employment in a hotel these days? Yeah, they're, they're like seems to be like okay. So where I live, no one ever really, you know, like there was kind of a dip in in tourism, kind of. For a little while, yeah, and uh-huh. like people just kept pouring in, which was um, fascinating. Uh, no one was really deterred, and um, you know, during the summer there was like an actual shutdown during which I was furloughed and thankful to be living in the middle of nowhere because I could just leave uh, the house and whatever. Yeah. But all my friends in New York and Seattle and whatever were just like locked down and miserable. Um, but like you know, w- when I came back, it was probably August or whatever. Um, you know, r- right before everything really launched off um, and uh, in, in the last wave, which no one cared about and people were griping about the whole time. And yeah. the hotel was full, just absolutely as full as it could be um, all the way through October uh, into November and then uh, December, January, February, slow months anyways. But by then the damage is already done. And I was just like, I didn't catch wow. it. Yeah. Um, no yeah. one cared. Um, and Asheville has very specific stringent standards about like masks and whatever. And, uh, but it's extremely uh-huh. blue 
and um, everywhere around Asheville is extremely red. And um, like, you know, just th- the most incredible signs. I actually saw uh, a sign that said, uh, God, country, and Trump, which was incredible to me. I, uh, I, was, I was so pleased. I think I have a picture of it somewhere. But um, that's no that's masks. A, pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Wow. All right. So, okay. So, so employment is good. Where were people coming from? Just all over were they, but Floridians really like to gripe. It was funny because like New Yorkers would still be traveling and traveling for pleasure, but they'd be like finicky about things. And they'd be like, you know, are you sure this is washed or whatever? And it's like, yeah, we have standards. And like, what what are you just like, if if you don't feel comfortable, why did you come here? And then the Floridians would come in and they just nerve of a New Yorker asking if something's been washed. Yeah. Disgusting, disgusting people all around. And, um, (laughs) you know, and then the Floridians came in and they, they, they took every opportunity. A, they like griping about, uh, you know, the hotels, no gun policy, but B, uh, generally speaking, they really enjoyed um, just complaining about uh, every little safety standard that North Carolina has taken. Don't you know that Florida's open? Yes, I do. You know, and like, uh, it was it was incredible, and they were all mixing right here. So you know, I uh, did they. I was going to ask about that. I mean, it seems like these people would, are are in some sense natural enemies. It's like putting <laughs> and and the situation is like taking two bugs and putting them in a bottle and shaking the bottle. Like, well, did, did they fight? No, they, they, I, I don't think they. Uh, you know, they, they'll, they'll give each other snide glances when one or the other is checking in sometimes, but like seldom. And then like, uh, you know, or they'll, they'll look at me like, can you believe what that guy just said? And I'll be like, I, I'll just ignore everything because I uh, have to repress all of my feelings in order to retain a job and um, just yeah. smile and go, hey, yeah, people, what's going on? And, um, you know, most of what what's interesting about like the, the merge in Asheville is actually the locals. Um, because like the, the locals in, in the city are very liberal and like all the conservative people will drive into Asheville, um, to, uh, counter protests, certain protests or whatever. It was, it was interesting during, during the 2016 election. What I, do people, what do people in Asheville protest? Oh, anything it's, national. Uh, They're so liberal. Uh, it, it, it's, and, and like the conventional kind of national liberalism, but like also you, you have, um, a, a, a pretty healthy anarchist scene here. And, um, uh, it, it, it's interesting. So there's an extremely, um, pro anarchist vibe going on. It's a, it's a university town to a certain extent. There's, um, university of oh, Asheville, sure. uh, or university of North Carolina, Asheville, part of that, the system that, you know, you know, as part of the research triangle. Um, but, uh, there's also, um, Warren Wilson college, which is farm tech, but also extremely liberal arts. And, um, so you have like these, these hyper liberal bands and a lot of like, collectives like you know there's one called the steady collective that um aims to uh distribute um narcan and um uh you know to the to the large homeless population in Asheville, and um you know you 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 have a lot of um uh, local uh resources for you know like food banks um uh i'm trying to remember i think it's 12 loaves um uh eh, i i i there was a time where I researched and, and, and was into it all. And I, then I got very drunk for a year after that. And, yeah, <laughs> and sure. my memory is gone. Um, but, um, I, I really, uh, um, so you have that kind of, um, local action liberalism, um, and, um, you know, trending towards anarchism. Um, 
uh, along with, you know, a lot of um, trans activism, uh, LGBT generally activism, um, et cetera. Um, but then you have uh, that, a small blue pool in the middle of just like the deepest red. And, um, you know, the deepest red from poor Appalachia. And um, that oh, brings yeah. me a lot of joy in weird ways. Um, even though I look at places when I drive out of Asheville and realize I would not be welcome <laughs> in, in a good number of these houses. Uh, yeah. So what's, what's, what's your own background? If you don't mind my asking, like, so, so you're working at a hotel in this, actually it sounds like very sociologically complex and interesting place. Um, did, did you Sorry. grow up there? No, not at all. I, I grew up in uh, uh, North Texas, actually, uh, uh, a small, um, not a small, it's a city. It's just a straight up city, uh, a suburb um, of Dallas. And okay. I moved out here because um, because of love. And um, uh, she and I are no oh, longer no. together. But I, yeah, well, but, but it was a good, it was good. It was a good thing. Like, I, I actually, um, yeah. Uh, needed to leave Texas. Um, I needed to leave Texas and I didn't have a, a good way to do it. And uh, lo and behold, one emerged. And um, But it was hell for her to convince me to get out of Texas, <laughs> which is ironic. But, so how, um, how'd you meet? Did you, did you meet in Texas? So this is an did interesting in Texas, or? story. Uh, we met online and um, I was part of a, a, a chat group on Skype. I've always been part of um, internet chat groups and streaming groups. Um, um, they've always provided me a lot of joy and comfort in very lonely times in my life. Um, and, um, mm -hmm. and even not lonely times. I just, I got that out of a, Oh, you yeah, got one? Yeah, no, I, uh, one of the ways that I coped when I was, what, one of the ways that I coped when I was a very, very lonely seventh grader was, uh, I, I, I played a lot of Diablo one and I chatted with other players. It was, yeah, man, dark time in my life. <laughs> Carry on. No, that was Battle.net for me. Battle.net and then yeah. um eventually uh you know Counter-Strike and Mumble uh, and all that stuff. Um and then there was a internet uh, there was a movie streaming group where um I uh acquired a good number of movies with a lot of friends and we would stream them to each other and they would trend towards like it was initially HP Lovecraft themed but uh -huh. um it, it just became, you know, there were too many like freaking uh, kids in it, like me, you know. Uh, so like, we yeah, ended yeah. up streaming shit like Caligula, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, what I was like, I was like nineteen or twenty. I wasn't like a kid, kid at this point. But like, um, you know, I, I you know, is it that was, thing like NC twenty eight? But that was the joy. It was like there was there was a string where I was just like, all right, fuck it, let's watch Cannibal Holocaust, Caligula, and Solo in a night. And then you know we watched, uh, um, you know those those weird uh, I don't remember what they're called the the hamster films or like the whatever you know it's just some strange uh, series of Japanese basically pseudo snuff films. And then like it it, it got dark, but oh, like geez. yeah, it was crazy. Um, yeah, that got dark. Yeah, but like we also watched shit like Pixar. I, you know, but but the initial theme was H.P. Lovecraft, so it often trended towards um, bizarre horror. And um, to that yeah. end, uh, I, I appreciated it because I wasn't necessarily into that. I was always into psychedelic stuff, and um, the kind of uh, horror theme opened me up. But um, I, after that. Uh, you know, I, I kept bouncing around chat rooms, and um, I actually was recruited uh, into one 
um, off of the, the 4chan literature board. Uh, someone just posted something for INTPs, which I'm not. And I, but I thought I was because I was on a lot of Adderall at the time and it switched some of my functions in the MBTI charts. And, yeah, um, yeah. and then, uh, I ended up like, there was a chat room with, I, you know, with, um, Ayla was there. It was Ayla and, um, her, her man at the time. Um, it was, it was, uh, I, I don't know if I should, you know, talk about all these people's names, but like Ayla's of, spe- is of specific. Yeah, let's, let's keep it. Let's keep Twitter it relevance. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to hold off on some of that, but, um, I will say that my ex was in this group eventually. And through that, I eventually moved to North Carolina. Chat groups. I see. Cool. It's convoluted. <laughs> yeah, that, that's fine though. Um, wow. Okay, so so you ended up in North Carolina. I, I feel like I'm getting a sense of like where you're from now. Um, so and now now you live in like a mountain town. Is it a mountain town or is the mountain further away? It's a tiny mountain town. <laughs> it's like i don't know there are mountains we're in the middle of mountains it's not necessarily on a mountain but you can drive really quick and be in a mountain it's probably like uh, the you know your little south park affiliate um yeah no for sure i mean I, that was definitely playing in my mind when i asked you and i i mean i feel like that out in seattle um you can't you can't see it because of the glare but um you know if you're to look out the window here you know there there are mountains not too far away and as soon as the baby's a little bit older and, and ready to go on uh, more, uh, I don't know. I I think once she's able, we'd really like to take her hiking quite a lot more. I mean, I think getting out of the city air is going to be good for her. You know, just sort of being in the sun, being in nature is probably going to be good for her. So just just having that around feels like an asset to living. Well, absolutely. And, you know, I live with like two children right now and uh, they're not mine, but, um, I'm living in a house with a family and, um, I'm moving shortly, but I've lived with them for the past basically year and a half and I've watched them grow a lot, but, um, they're, they're blessed to kind of have this giant outdoor, they have a huge backyard and there's nature all around. And, um, you know, I remember when I was living in, in North Texas, like my parents tried to get me out and like, and tried to have me spend more time outside, but like, you know, there, there were some parks where I'm from, but I didn't, um, um, I, they weren't great. And I didn't like even appreciate what we had. And these kids are just always outside, but like actually outside. And it's kind of beautiful. They have like a little garden that they can eat the vegetables out of. And like, uh, um, they'll be able to drive and be in a mountain or like their parents can take them to, you know, wherever and they can hike. And it, it genuinely seems like a far healthier uh, way of life. Yeah. So that, that has to be thinking actually, I mean, I've got my daughter now and I spend a lot of time thinking about what kind of a life would be good for her. I mean, you know, just generally, but especially the parts of it where I, I have some responsibility for, you know, facilitating it more, more directly. And well, I mean, one thing that moon and I have discussed is once she's older, just, going not exactly rural but probably far further outside of a city so you know we could we could live maybe in along the river near Stillwater Minnesota which for for those of you who don't know which is probably everyone if you if you go east out of St. Paul Minneapolis you eventually hit the St. Croix River which is on the border between Minnesota and Wisconsin so it's like 30 minutes outside of St. Paul 
and it's pretty rural. The best ice cream shop in the world is out there. And uh, you, oh, know, you can actually afford it. It's here in Nashville. Uh, Google Nelson's. I Nelson's is incredible. You can go there. They're only open in the summer. They have probably 40 or 50 flavors and a buck 50 will get you an ice cream cone as big as your face. Well, that's awesome. I, 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 my, my plug is for, um, uh, the hop, the hop creamery in Asheville. Uh, they have uh-huh. just, uh, incredible flavors. Uh, I, I had like a habanero mango there once. It was just so good. Wow. I never had spicy ice cream, but yeah, Will you ever again. Oh yeah. Uh, if they ever offer it again. If you hear this, please, I need more. <laughs> but um, I absolutely appreciate that impulse. As someone who, you know, I didn't live directly in Dallas. This the suburb that I lived in. Uh, by the time of my moving, it had two hundred fifty to three hundred k humans in it, though, and it was extremely affluent. And yeah. it still wasn't great. It just wasn't. I mean, it was probably great to raise kids in. It was clean. It was safe. The education system was top tier, you know, and um, uh-huh. and it drove me nuts after I graduated. And even while I was before I graduated, it was just not a um, everyone moved there for one reason. They had like a telecom job or a corporate job and they wanted to get their kids ahead in the public school system there or, you know, uh, there weren't that many private schools. The public school system in, in that area was great. Um, and, um, there, there was basically, it was kind of culturally bereft. Otherwise there are a lot of people like who from a lot of different backgrounds. So I grew up a lot around a lot of like East Asians, uh, Indian people, um, it just, just people from all over the place, but, um, it still felt kind of dead in a way. And I didn't like I, I started kind of going crazy for a variety of reasons and ended up just like having to leave. And now that I'm relatively rural, I never want to move to a city proper again unless necessity drives me there. What what kind of dead do you mean? Can you can you like dig into that a little more? Yeah, you know what it was, and it's interesting. I, I think what it was is it was missing like, um. Hmm. There wasn't really an artistic scene. Um, I, I, uh-huh. there, there were artists, but like, um, there wasn't like the universities there and, and around there. So I, I'll just, God, I'll just, you know, uh, the, the area that I was living was basically, it was, it was, you know, there's the university of Texas at Dallas, which was much smaller, um, at the time that I was growing yeah. up. And that was mostly tech based and it still is. There are interesting arts programs there now, but still. Then there was um, the, uh, um, uh, the, God, there's the community college circuit, which is well known for, you know, a community college, uh, whatever. And then there was SMU um, in, in North Dallas. Um, and uh, SMU is mostly known for like, you know, law and whatever. And a lot of the universities around there are not, they're all focused on uh, tech and technical or more technical um, things. And um, there were arts programs, but nothing in the area is really focused on arts too much. And you could find some of it. I guess I was a little bit incapable of, 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 of grafting onto those scenes myself, but they, they weren't really the main focus. The main focus in that whole area seems to be, um, 
everything there is like owned. There's not really a place to be for free. And, um, I, uh, it kind of drove me nuts because like I, I, at the time didn't really, um, have a job and there were like specific things like, you know, if you should, you should either just like have a job or, uh, go to school and, um, that should be the focus. It should be earning more or whatever. And, um, that seemed to yeah. be kind of the philosophy of, of everyone around. Um, I don't know. It was like there was a middle element to society that was lacking. Um, all the culture was imported and nothing was endogenous. Um, you know, I, I don't know if it was from for a lack of like, you know, all the kids leave after high school for the most part. Yeah. Because like it, it seemed to be a production line for uh, people to go get degrees of, of um, you know, various degrees afterwards. It was like everyone. The emphasis was not only do you, you know, you graduate high school, but you leave immediately to a to a good university somewhere else. So like, you know, all these, these creative individuals just, they're gone. Um, but like, there's still a lot of money because yeah. the parents remain and, uh, they retain their corporate jobs. So it's just like a bunch of, um, older people with corporate jobs and, uh, the people who graduated high school are gone. So it's just, then you have like all the high school graduates that are just like, you know, what the fuck am I doing here? I have high school. I just, you know, I'm, I'm just a kid, you know? So like, uh, there was some dead space, I think generationally, um, at least I experienced that. Yeah, no, that, that's super interesting. I mean, so there are a couple of things that you mentioned and one is that kind of a generational dead space and that feels pretty important both, both in that, that sort of geographically vertical, sense of a, a dead space, right? So like you have a city where everybody just goes to college and then goes and gets a job somewhere else, perhaps. I mean, maybe people move back after they after they go to college, although uh, I bet they mostly don't, which seems like it's bad for a community in the sense that, you know, all of these ties that people have spent some amount of time building get just completely thrashed up and, and tossed out when you move to a different area. I mean, it, it's great when we can have these online communities where people talk to each other from, from a great distance, but there's something atomizing about it. And even here, I try to make a point of meeting up with people locally when I'm, well, historically, right? I mean, not, not too much to be done right now. But so that seems bad. But then also, you know, I've, I've been thinking a lot about the even – even in places where kids can grow up and go to school and then work and reproduce. And it's not a matter of like, you know, swimming upstream to breed and die again. It seems like there's not any kind of integration within a given area, even if all those different layers are there in, in the sense that you can live your entire life without seeing kids. If you're so inclined right now, I mean, you know, we take kids and we, you basically lock them in schools for for an extended period, and and you, you know they just don't interact with with adults, who for the most part don't interact with seniors, who also don't interact with kids because schools and and nursing homes aren't the same thing. And you know this, this is a common critique, but the parallel I guess between like the 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 stratification of these different age cohorts within a given area even is kind of interestingly paralleled by this idea that they're stratified at the, this broader geographical level. Certainly. And, and that's, um, God, there was a, there was a point in there that I, that I wanted to, uh, take up that I've, that I've completely forgotten. I, I, I do agree. Um, oh yeah, it was that, I, I think that 
one of the other interesting parts about that too, you, you can kind of go further even into the language of things and the way that we're moralizing things in the present day. And like, you know, you, you have this tendency to want to give everything, um, you know, like every personality type and, and whatever, a, a stringent label. And then like, um, it, it reminds me of like, we want everything to have its place and we want everything to be properly invested. Everyone at every age uh, and, um, you know, at, I suppose age group, um, category, even ethnic category, um, uh, uh, say a gender category, whatever. And, and we want these, these things to have different rules. And then we want these rules to be like adhered to in a private space, but also be like, you know, open to like public, um, you know, like open to the public. I, I, I don't, um, if, if that makes sense, it's like, everyone's trying to ag agree to a set of standards that like everyone has to adhere to. And then, um, you know, just, uh, I'm tr what am I reaching for here? It, it, it seems like yeah, I'm everything is trying to break. Everything is breaking down because it's overly specific. And um, it, it, it kind of mirrors that sense of like geographic atomization and like um, uh, intergenerational atomization and even intra, um, you know, um, or inter, um, field atomization and that like nothing none of the parts of anything are like really communicating and everyone gets the opportunity to, to like define themselves as a thing and have the permission to look only inwards and um and from there they they want people want to further define things and things break down further as opposed to having you know the traditional village morass which was just like you know everyone was kind of landed together and had to abide by each other in public I yeah. Okay. So I wonder, I wonder if there is, I think I see what you're saying. And I wonder if there's a kind of a tension between a tension, not a tension, a sort of suppose that everybody agrees that they're part of the same group. Hmm. It feels a bit like that actually gives you like everybody is just the same now. I think that declaring that and just having that as the baseline gives everyone a lot of space to act as an individual because you don't actually have to spend a lot of time performatively carrying out the role of your group. Sure. Right. Yeah. Like, like, you know, if suddenly you identify as, you know, like I, let's let's say like a, a leftist american or something like that then suddenly like okay i need to or you know like let, let's say that i identify as a writer in the sense of like god country and trump like <laughs> i'm probably gonna spend a lot of energy like going in and like doing god country and trump things right and maybe that's gonna be a lot of my life whereas if it's just like okay everybody here is american and that's not even that important then suddenly you can go and spend a lot of time doing whatever your actual idiosyncrasies are. There's, there's not so much energy expended trying to signal membership in that group. And so sort of counterintuitively by subsuming everybody in a single category, you actually get more individual variation in behavior. Does but that, that seem right to you? It, it, to a certain extent it does, but I mean like it, absolutely like, you know, in, in the broadest theoretical sense, yes. You know, that, that, that makes sense. However, you know, it, it comes down to this, this sense of, you know, how do we even you know, define what is American anymore? 
or you know how how do we even what are we, there, there's such an erosion of yeah of, well, that's fundamental systems you know yeah well that, that that's the beauty of it like if if the floating signifier is big enough <laughs> it it, it it becomes all things to all people, you know? Sure. Like, what is American? Well, it's, sure, it's whatever I happen to be at any given point in time. And that's great. I um, agree with that sense of things uh, to a certain extent, but it just comes down to, you know, how, how do you get people to adhere to that qualifier when they're so um, eager to remove other people from that umbrella um, because they want to have their word have their own significance, you know, that the significance that they've imbued it. And, and, and like, I, I think that it is the fundamental nature of a human to, to start immediately going, okay, well that person's more American and that person's less American, you know? And, and like, I, I understand like the, the qualifier under your definition is broad and you can't do more or less but they will, you know, people, people immediately do that. It's, it's immediately, you know, oy, we go into the in-group out-group distinction and people like start talking about, okay, yeah, well, yeah. here's this subdivision of American. Uh, and then you have more titles and what it, it, every, every situation, every time you grant a title, it's an, an immediate tower of battle situation. It's like suddenly everyone's developing words and they all mean different things. And then, you know, ultimately you end up speaking like, you know, two sides of, of the same language and like, uh, and then four and then eight and then 16, you know, whatever. And, um, people. It, yeah. Well, that, that, that feels like a feature, not a bug to me. As long as those <laughs> people don't actually get around to talking, which maybe is the problem. Don't get around to talking. Yeah, exactly. So if, if two people have like diametrically opposed views on what it means to be an American, as long as they don't talk and discover that they have very different meanings for the word, I think we're okay. Well, that's an interesting proposal in that it, it is very counter to the modern era, isn't it? Um, yeah. So, I mean, like what, what you're essentially proposing is, is you know, you have, you have higher level uh, conversations in which uh, the majority of people at lower levels can't even enter into because they can't see that they're occurring. So you have these yep. extraordinarily broad headers. So like the way that you're conceiving it is is different. And that's completely different from the village mindset that we were talking about earlier, where people have to live their lives in public. It's extremely fragmented. And and I, I, I want to say it's almost more atomized, but it might even be more cohesive in certain circumstances. That's interesting. I, you know, it's, it's just- If everyone a, is atomized, but nobody knows that they're atomized, that seems fine. Does it? Maybe. Hmm, yeah. I didn't think about well, that. Well, you know, I mean, like... If it, everybody it, feels like they're not at... No, go on. But, you know, I mean, there's 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 a certain amount of localism to it, right? Where, you know, I, I guess I'm, I'm just sort of imagining what life was like in the United States before national media got to be both very big and uh, variegated. So, you know, when there were when there were three broadcasters, they were pretty... Um, I mean, there were, I think, I think they had sort of a Northeast bent, but they were pretty homogeneous and I don't think you would get a really strong, like Western viewpoint or a really strong Southern viewpoint or so on. I, I mean, there was a little bit of that, but for the most part, I think there was this idea that maybe people who lived in, in each of these regions had a sense of America that was pretty localized and sure. like you didn't get people from say 
you know, Portland arguing with people from 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 Alabama too much so, because there was just no means. I have an interesting anecdote. Or- I'm sorry, you just popped one into my head. I have an interesting anecdote to this point, and it's one that I've been intending to bring up in the form of an essay and haven't because I'm a lazy person. But so there's a place in eastern Kentucky called Pikeville, tiny little spit of nothing in X minor town. Now, around Pikeville are four other tiny little spit of nothing towns, also all initially based on coal. What differentiated Pikeville is that it had a university and a hospital system. So when the coal prices collapsed, you know, coal mining is an industry collapsed, Pikeville still remained. And so you have extraordinary um, Appalachian poverty all around this little town. And then this little town is doing pretty all right. One interesting note in this town, I saw a drive through pain management clinic. Uh, this was maybe three or so years ago. Uh, you know, people were still talking up the opioid crisis and whatever. Three, four, probably three years ago. Yeah, Anyhow, yeah. Which was, that's just a side note. The the interesting uh, point about this town is I went to a um, festival. I don't know, carnival of some kind. It was called Hillbilly Days. Um, and it was, um, this was at the peak of the, the Black Lives Matter contentions. Um, so it was, it was kind of a very strange moment. Um, you know, everything was very tense nationally. I go here, this town is all white. That's all it is. It's all white and it's tiny, it's poor. Um, and there is a, uh, you know, they, they had like country music, you know, fair food, whatever, uh, that there were, there were booths for the friends of coal where they were actually whittling, um, statues made out of coal. You know, it was crazy. Uh, you know, um, anyhow, um, yeah, you know, complete with like people driving by on their little scooters with the emphysema nose bands and whatever, you know, from the black long war. Jesus. Anyhow, um, you, 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 um, in this festival, they were selling shirts that said, um, hillbilly lives matter. Um, this was at the height of the, the national tension. Um, it, it would not have done well. It would not have aired well or played well anywhere in America. It was astounding to me. I have pictures um, uh, whatever. So I, but also, um, you know, I, I got the opportunity to talk to locals at the time and, you know, there, there was an extraordinary, like, um, hate for the, for the police going on nationally and, 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 and uh, all on the part of the left and whatever, but the police for them, um, for, for nationally is often a very broad concept where cops don't even necessarily live in the jurisdiction that they, you know, serve or like if they do, you know, these towns are giant and the police don't necessarily interact with people on a regular basis. The sense of things, and it was on everyone's mind, uh, here was, we support our police, but they all knew the policemen and people weren't over litigized, you know, uh, by, by the, the, uh, by the municipality, you know, the policemen would let people off sometimes. It was a major thing if someone got shot by the police, you know, and like sometimes that's the case nationally, but sometimes it's just, it doesn't matter. You know, the, the, the police didn't have to do that in Pikeville, Kentucky, because it just wasn't, it, they, they had a completely different meaning of the word police. So when you heard these things like abolish the police, the police shouldn't be doing this, police shouldn't be doing that. They were importing national media and responding to it with things like hillbilly lives matter because they don't know any, you know, they don't know any black people. They have their own problems right there. And then, you know, the police are good after all. Well, they, they don't, they, the police are their relatives and, and they interact with the police on a daily basis. So, I mean, like, I, I, I see what you mean in terms of the destruction of localism 
and the importation of media overall driving the contention of, of the nation by having them, forcing them to interface with problems which are not their own and then respond to them? That's insane. It's, it's absolutely insane. And the, the responses, of course, will be from the national lens, often viewed as insane or, you know, irresponsible or whatever. But that's because they, they necessarily cannot respond to the same issues the same way or even understand them in the same way. Um, yeah, although it is it is a bit interesting to me that Hillbillies, um, I don't think that's an epithet, is it? I don't know. I've never thought about it. I mean, it. I, if, if they're selling shirts that say Hillbilly Lives Matter, I think it's not. And I guess there is that J.D. Vance book. Yeah. But I wouldn't Hillbilly have thought of that group. Yeah. I, I guess I wouldn't have thought of Hillbillies as being a particularly pro-police block. Because, you know, moonshine. <laughs> well, you know, and it's it's interesting. Or like feuds, you know? They, you know, I'm sure... and. They, they were having drug problems at the time too. And, um, you know, they, they, they call themselves hillbillies, but we're not talking about the same hillbillies that, you know, are the, the joyous, uh, you know, late 1800s moonshine and family feud, you know, kind of thing. And I, I would assume to a certain extent, uh, people are out there making moonshine. I have had moonshine. It was, it was okay. It did the job. <laughs> it 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 degreased my brain. I uh like I don't I don't know. Uh, it it's not the best, but it will get you drunk. Um, the, but you know I I don't. A lot of the problems locally were like you know drug related at that time. You know like when 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 I heard people talking about the the crimes at the, at the moment, it was about um you know someone had done too much meth and committed a violent act or someone had done you know done too much whatever that you know they, they were they were on oxys and that kind of shit but like at the same time i'm not a local to the area yeah. i only heard what was topical at the moment and what people were willing to share frankly it was an interesting town these small towns yeah. are very interesting yeah i mean if I, I I don't know. I think the the way that almost and you know you were there, so you can correct me if my sense of the vibe is off. But you know the idea of having a shirt that said "Hillbilly Lives Matter" seems like they're almost kind of identifying with black people in in the sense that they maybe feel underseen or underrepresented, you know, or you know, say <clears throat> dying from large quantities of drug overdoses. I mean. You know, if if there's something that's happening in your community and it's more or less destroying it, which I think Oxy probably was for a lot of communities like this, and just nobody is talking about it, which in a lot of cases they weren't, you know, like I, it seems like there are a lot of parallels and, and if one group gets to do this and another doesn't, then yeah, maybe, maybe you're pretty cheesed off. Well, I think that was the spirit of the time. Absolutely. I think that's what people were uh, contending for, for a long period of time that, um, you know, well, there are underserved communities of all colors and all places. And, you know, they, they ought to, uh, you know, be paying attention to us as well. And, you know, it, it seems absurd to be focusing so much on this when this is happening. And, but like, you know, it, it, it becomes this thing of like diametric opposition as opposed to um, unifying uh, God, God forgive me. 
uh, unifying uh, under a sense of like class consciousness or, you know, some sort of sense of, uh, <laughs> right. I, I, uh, God, you know, like there are a class of individuals yeah, who that's are interesting. suffering under a sense of, you know, uh, uh, under their, um, you know, inflictions, their social, their social afflictions, uh, you know, um, uh, it, it they they identified with the emotion, the spirit of the thing, but they could not identify, and perhaps were not permitted to, with the um, broader motions seen on the national stage. Yeah, or or like they just felt left out of it somehow. I mean, like if if your story, if you have a real strong sense that your story is not being told, I think that's pretty alienating. Absolutely. And and then you're told you're not permitted to engage in the conversation because of who you are. Now, I, I yeah. don't necessarily I, I don't want to minimize uh, anything that um, I, you know, any aspect of what was going on at the time for any group of people. This is just what I saw in Pikeville, Kentucky. You know, uh, I, I, yeah, I yeah, feel yeah. like I need to issue a, a disclaimer or some sort of caveat. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm thinking a lot about this. So, I mean, I've been. Um, I haven't even thought about this I've been in like reading... a year. <laughs> yeah. 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 This is this is so, like okay. reflection. So one one other thing that you mentioned earlier when you were when you were complaining about Dallas <laughs> was the lack of which I respect. I I'm not making fun of you. I I imagine I would be pretty unhappy living in Dallas in a lot of ways. It was my what, suburb but, too. But what, <laughs> yeah, or, or just maybe suburbia in particular. But one thing you mentioned was the lack of an art scene. And I, I was a bit curious about that. You, you seem like you've, I mean, like, and in particular, identifying it as a scene. And maybe could I ask you a little bit more about that? Like, what was lacking? What were you looking for? And, and have you found that in, in North Carolina? Well, there wasn't like a good sense of easy access to a group of individuals. I, I, um, and, and in particular, I w- one of the ends that I found in this area, when I moved out here, um, uh, there are four, um, there were four or five locally owned bookstores, in- independent bookstores, which host um, regularly uh, talks from authors in better years, talks from authors and workshops and reading circles, et cetera. I even started my own re- reading circle. Uh, I-, I remember I was like 25 when I moved here and I walked into um Downtown Books and News, Asheville, North Carolina. Go there, and um, you know, I, I picked up off the shelf uh, "Society of the Spectacle." You know, we'd never read any uh, Marxist theory. I went to, you know, I took a political science course. Um, uh, you know, that was that was my my undergrad um, in um, in at um, in Texas through the Texas uh, school system. And um, we never read any Marx or anything like that, which fine. I got a lot of interesting stuff. We read, you know, we read Walls. Uh, uh, I mean, not Walls. Uh, we did read Walzer and he was good, but I'm referring to um, uh, Rawls. There we go. Um, and, and we read people like um, Rawls. You know, yeah. 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 And Oakshot and uh, who was who was a, a, he wrote rationalism and politics, which was interesting. It was a conservative book, but like at the same time, um, you know, we, 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 uh, read some relatively speaking modern theory, both liberal and whatever, but we never read really, we were never exposed to any kind of Marxist critique or whatever. And, and so I walked into the store and I saw society, the spectacle, I picked it up. I loved it. And then I started a reading circle. I could just walk into the bookstore and just say, Hey, I want to start a reading group here. And they're like, yeah, you can use our space, whatever. So it was this ease of, you know, 
I, I could walk into a store. Um, the, the people who work there are writing and reading actively. It, it's not just freaking um, uh, Barnes and Noble, you know, with a national circuit and, uh, you know, just someone there to shill and sign books. It was like a space for the literary community. There are um, printing presses uh, around here, small printing presses. You know, you have the, the lithograph presses, but you also have like a traditional um, engravers who still like make their own ink, engrave their own plates. Um, you, you have a place that you can go to in West Asheville where you can actually learn to, to um, use a, a print, a, you know, a traditional block print, um, which I haven't done. I haven't had the time or money. The, the intention is there at some point, but, but it seems like a neurotic art at this point, to be honest. Um, it, it just, just, it would be fun to do, but like you say a neurotic art. Yes. Uh, it, it's a neurotic art like you, with, you, with an N X. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the erotic art of, uh, the traditional press. No, uh, neurotic as in like you stare at the thing and you neurotic. have to line okay, up excellent. <laughs> every, like, yeah, you have to line up every letter on the thing and you have to do that for every single page. And then you press the, the number of pages that you need and you might fuck some up. You know, it, it, whatever. It, it's it's like the, the perfect art for someone, for a perfectionist on amphetamine. And um, I am not that man, but it seems like it would be fun to engage in that at, at some point um, uh, as a passing yeah. thing. But the scene is there. And so, you know, you, you, you have a number of people doing these weird little small art, you know, creating objects. Um, through traditional and less traditional ways, but they're they're out there making it a business or a space, and often it's about like supporting it with the community, and and it goes back to the same sense of the anarchist uh, collectives. You know, it's like the one of the anarchist collectives around here owns a bookstore. It's called Firestorm, and uh, you know they they're they're awesome. They're they're constantly engaged in local advocacy, and um and uh, I I I appreciate them. Their, their politics may differ somewhat from mine, uh, but like at the same time, like they're the only ones selling what they sell. And if I want something specific, I want to go there and give them my money. You know, I don't want to like buy the anarchist text off of uh, Amazon. There's something self-defeating about that. Uh, um, I, I appreciate the sense that there are many places that you can walk into who will give you space. Um, you're talking to people who are actively engaged in community outreach. And in North Texas, that wasn't so much the case. Everything was more atomized, as we were saying. It's more fragmentary. Most things are corporately owned in some sense. You know, that the, there weren't a lot of local bookstores. Where I was, it was all like um, half-priced books. Half-priced books, Barnes & Noble. And like, you know, I was at half-priced books all the time, but it wasn't... It, it ain't a community space, you know? Um, so, yeah. Do yeah. you, do you think, do you, do you think people get into street anarchism because it's a scene? Yeah. I mean, like, why does, why does any person get into anything? Uh, there are people there doing things and, and like, you know, sometimes I, you know, even the, the recluses online, like, you know, why am I online? Because there are people here I can talk to who are doing things, you know, I, 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 I mean, it's just like, these are, this is the band of my temperament and the ideas that I have encountered. And, um, I, I have found people who I can mesh with on the street or whatever. And therefore, you know, I, here, here I yeah, am. Yeah. It's where you find yourself, you know, I, I think geographic. Yeah. No, it's just a very interesting idea. Oh.
Yeah. It just feels like a pretty interesting idea to me. Like I, I think to an extent people are just drawn to scenes and you know, I, I somewhat resent people burning down cities and also like, why are they doing this? Well, it's like, you know, where's the action, man? Where, where are you going to have fun? Where are people going and sort of believing things or actually having some kind of community with a, some kind of objective, you know, it's not even clear what the objective is. Maybe the objective is just to like create things or as you say, to do things. And you know what? I mean, burning a city down is, is something at least, is, you know, it is. it's, it's and, and it's like, you know, you've got to organize there's, there's like group involvement, like there are arguments about doctrine, which I'm, you know, are kind of fun in different ways. I, I, I have seen, I did a, put up a shit post last night. And now everyone is really mad about whether utilitarianism is evil, actually. And hundred percent, uh, all utilitarians are evil. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just throwing that out there. But, um, you on that yeah, one. I, yeah, man. I wonder, I wonder if there, I wonder if that's a good framing for like why people suddenly wanted to go and, you know, tear stuff down last summer. Like at least it's something to, you know what I mean? So, um, when I first started working at this hotel, uh, my, um, my manager was one of these homegrown liberals and, um, I was an idealist freshly out of, you know, political science classes and whatever. And like, you know, I, I, it was literally a job that I just, I, I moved to North Carolina and I was like, Oh shit, I don't have a job or any prospects. I need one immediately. I was lucky to end up with this, um, this woman as my manager. She now uh, works at a bookstore, one of the bookstores I love. But um, she was a local homegrown liberal and um, had to, you know, fight for these, you know, f- you know, feelings and, and, and her convictions over the course of years. Whereas, you know, where I was in Texas, I could be relatively liberal and just fine. You know, the circles I ran in. But like um, I was consistently angry. Um, at like, you know, I, when I moved here, it was like 2015, 2016. So there was the, the Trump election and I was consistently angry with the, the, um, the discourse on either side of things. You know, you, you had extremely simple, um, rhetoric, uh, being used. And, um, uh, I, I was, I was consistently just denigrating it. I was like, you know, that's not even a point. They're not making a point. They're just saying words, you know, and, and people were eating it up. I would go crazy. Yeah, yeah. And then like, she was like, well, um, that's not, they're not trying to make a point. They're not trying to convince anything. You need to grab people and uh, unify them. It's a form of rallying. And um, I think that, you know, it was, it was, now I'm going to reframe things a little bit differently. Um, And the Occupy, you, you remember the Occupy protests. There was an extraordinary sense of like listlessness. <laughs> Who could forget? Who could? Uh, there was an extraordinary sense of listlessness in a lot of those. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they weren't doing anything. The point was to get out there and sit and, you know, yeah. And um, but it wasn't with that energy. And yeah. uh, they, they, they would go out there and they would sit. And so you, you had all this energy, but like, you know, none of the, the, there was no action about it. It was like, they all went out there and they, they kind of did a thing, whatever. But you had so much just free energy going on there were so many people unified and that's what they chose to do sure probably better than burning things down it was a thing to do then in the more recent ones you you had all these people out of work nothing to do during you know the trump years where everyone's constantly being whipped into a frenzy and and it was hot on top of it all 
and, and you know, the, the people, I, I think you see these, these, um, these uh logos and these 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 rally these rallying cries a cab burn it down fuck 12 you know whatever and then um you know it's whatever people yeah. latch onto it's not about making an argument it's about catching people and catching that energy and directing them the crowd is a completely different organism than uh an individual human and it's about funneling that energy for your own ends or like you know it, but there's no such thing as funneling a crowd for a long period of time Yeah. So, so how do we make a meta scene that makes better scenes than the ones that exist? Oh, you, you just generate a space for conversation. Um, you, 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 as you say, you, you take the broadest header, you know, you have a thing like America and that, that, you know, we definitely have a, a band, um, an Overton window, but like, it's about creating a space where people use specific words where they can kind of glom onto it and then being productive within that space or allowing people to be productive within that space. Um, and, um, they, they often, these small groups that form spin off elsewhere and they, they go otherwere. Um, I, I, I want to say that, um, uh, uh, someone, someone else in, in the Twitter sphere right now, who seems to be kind of doing that is Kersey. Um, um, you know, Michael Kersey, uh, he, yeah, yeah. he's, he's kind of got yeah, of course. that. He's got that energy and, you know, he's, he's got the energy of the, the, the bookstore <laughs> that, that will allow you to like, you know, set up in there and whatever. And this this space right here, I mean, it's not the same, but it's like, look, you have a following and, and then you, you get people on here to just talk and, and like, you know, it ostensibly your eyes will be directed in, in certain, you know, in the space of, um, certain conversations that occur here and under that header will bloom more. Um, yeah. Yeah. I've been, I've been really pleased by, I, I think, if I have what one thing that I think I've done some of on Twitter is getting in early with some really good accounts, you know, and um, I, I think there's this element of like then those accounts start attracting other people. And at this point, I, I, I had this realization maybe a year ago that people were having conversations that I had no idea were occurring. Yeah. And I was delighted, you know, I, I, I don't know why I was surprised because that's just how people work. Like they, they operate in, in social spaces in ways that like, I don't, I'm just not aware of, but I saw it happening and it felt like there was some sort of, um, I mean, just, just like a real kind of momentum going on. And, you know, I would like log out for eight hours and then come back on and there would be these, you know, memes from, for the, the, these, you know, trends in posting that I was just completely unfamiliar with and they were great. And it, it was, it was really gratifying. And it seems like there's, there's a lot of that going on from, you know, from, from this very large group. And yeah, I, I'm excited. I like giving people just a, a platform to, to go off on whatever they're, they're feeling at any point in time. Cause I, I think it does go out and resonate and, it's a lot easier than actually coming up with things myself. So, <laughs> well, I mean, it's a way to like, you know, whenever people meet there, it, it's, it's beyond just like, you know, simple content generation or anything like that. When, when minds who are unfamiliar meld, the new ideas come uh, and come out, you know, there was a, a concept I had, I used to make zines. I still occasionally ha- have this idea that I'm going to make them, but I only published them in one bookstore in Asheville 
handmade and they're only like a few but i like that's that's the zine spirit right yeah yeah but like um in one of these zines uh i i did a thing i wrote a thing about how um every single conversation is like an organism in and of itself and um it uh you know we have conversations with the spaces around us in a way we interact with them and they help us generate ideas and we 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 bring those spaces to generate whatever ideas or but but when we're engaged in a conversation with another person um we are almost engaging in the creation of a microculture in that we will oh, have oh i like that yeah we we will have particular idioms that we develop and use i will know you for specific reasons from the outset we're building a foundation right now and upon this foundation we will continue to grow in specific directions based on kind of the momentum of this initial conversation and others. We'll build ideas from the ideas that we have built together. A microculture. Uh, well, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so, so like, <clears throat> that's amazing. And I have a new tagline for the podcast. <laughs> like, I, I need to think about this, like the, the wet market of, of <laughs> podcasts or something like that. But I feel like there is an element of that, right? Like, okay. Sure. So like we're maybe every conversation we have, we're generating these, like some novel microorganism and, and, and like recombining in a genetic sense, a, b- a bunch of data, you know, genetic data and producing something that's a bit different and a bit mutated and Yeah. A wet market. I'll, I'll, I'll workshop that before I post. But I that's it. why it's so important to talk to so many people. Um, because like the, the conversations that you have are so idiosyncratic and, and like they are of necessity, like, you know, each group that you engage in each different group, you're, you're creating, um, you know, something completely new and the conversations yeah. that arise thereof are completely unique. And, um, it's important thereby to expose yourself to a wide variety of people who you can engage in novel ways, who force you to engage in novel ways. Oh yeah, for sure. No, I've, I've noticed that here. I mean, for example, I, I think I, during this podcast have ended up a little bit more laconic than I usually am. <laughs> for example, you know, because I, I mean, you, you've got a pretty, um, you're, you're a very energetic conversationalist. <laughs> I love to talk. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and so like, I, I found myself just responding to that to by, by just kind of sitting back and letting you go, which is definitely good. And, and, um, and that feels pretty interesting to me as well, I think I maybe tend to be a more responsive conversationalist and around people who are more shy or quiet, I I tend to become larger and louder. And in the reverse case, it's just like kind of sitting back and letting people go. Well, that's probably very healthy. It it is, it is flexible. It is a way to, with, with the people who you're trying to engage is what it sounds like. And with a shyer person, yeah, yeah. you want to give them space. And with if you're trying to get uh, an, a space to expand into, but you have to probe them with the right, you know, little social motions in order to allow them to like, okay, poked here, they'll expand there, you know, or whatever. Versus uh, someone who's energetic or engaged by, by nature and just, um, it, you know, you, you can direct them, but it becomes more of a thing of like, you know, it's a small prod. And then like, uh, you know, yeah, uh, you know, eh. yeah, there, there are good tricks for talking to the shy people. Um, what, what do you do? What do you do? I, I won't reveal them. Oh, okay. <laughs> These are trade secrets. Okay. <laughs> and sometimes they backfire and I don't want to be responsible for that. Okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, 
So we're, we're coming up on an hour um, and I should go check on my baby before too long. It's, it's wild. Honestly, I, I don't like going a long time without seeing how she's doing. I mean, the first thing I do when I wake up is I go and I look at the baby and the last thing that I do before bed. And, you know, if we've got her lying down somewhere, I check on her every two minutes Aww. and I don't think it's, I don't think it's neuroticism. It's just like, I don't want to miss anything. I want to be sure she's happy. I hope she's smiling, you know? So, um, but, but before that, do you, uh, any closing thoughts on your side or anything else you wanted to, to, to hit before we go? Not in particular. I, I, I did, um, not expect to be going in this direction from the outset. I had no clue where this conversation would go. And we touched on a yeah. lot of just memories and like thoughts that had kind of laid dormant for like a year or two. I never expect to talk about North Carolina as much as I do. I, I read a lot and like I write and I just feel like uh, I always feel like that's what we'll talk about. And then it's like, I, I never end up talking about what I think I will. So it's like, yeah, interesting. It's just interesting the direction that this took. And I, I, I liked the conversation it was fun to talk to you. Yeah. Oh, for sure. No, I mean, conversations are like roads in, in the Tolkien-esque sense, you know, like they go ever on and you don't ever quite know where, where they're going to lead, which is one reason I like podcasting a lot. You know, I, I pull people on and often we'll have, we'll have some sense in advance of what we're going to talk about, but something like this, you know, we, we chatted about it at, a bit in advance and, and, you know, we had this sort of a loose list, but I think it's better to just let it sort of grow organically and rather than trying to shoehorn it in some particular direction or another. Absolutely. So anyway, cool. Well, Hey, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on. Oh, do you want to show anything? Show anything. Shill. Oh, shill. Uh, uh, eh, you, you can check out my medium. It's, it's on the, the front page of, of my, my Twitter, but like at the same time, I don't love medium. I just like the things that I write. Um, my, my most recent story <laughs> is pretty good. It's a little dark, but it's a comedy. Um, it's about a guy who, uh, um, well, he, he's a suicide hotline operator who, um, shoots himself and then doesn't die and starts a cult. And, um, Oh, wow. It, okay. <laughs> it's, I think it's very funny and um, I don't know. Uh, you, you can, you can absolutely go read it. I like it. I feel awkward shilling anything. <laughs> no, 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 no. You don't feel awkward. Take full advantage. I will link to that in the, uh, in the show notes. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, thanks everybody. This has been beast. That's blunder busted. B U S S T E D at the end. Um, I, I botched that a few times typing it into the Twitter search bar. Matt, it's been a pleasure having you on. Thank you. It's been a pleasure being here. <laughs> cool. Take care.